The São Paulo LGBT Pride Parade has already become an important part of the city's calendar, having just completed its 23rd annual edition. The event has become one of the world's largest Pride Parades and gives a significant boost to local commerce and travel agencies. This year, however, the parade took place at a time when Brazil's political divisions have been getting more and more intense. On one hand, the LGBT community has managed important victories, such as the Supreme Court's decision to criminalize homophobia or the inclusion of trans women in legislation to combat domestic violence. At the same time, however, Brazil's president Jair Bolsonaro has become something of an embodiment of homophobia in the country. In the past, he said he'd rather have a dead son than a gay son. And if one of his children came out as gay, he promised he would, quote, beat it out of them. So, what is it like to be gay in Bolsonaro's Brazil? That's our discussion this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. Juliana Costa, you covered the 2019 São Paulo Pride Parade for the Brazilian Report. Hi. Hello, Gustavo. So organizers of the parade said they were expecting 3 million people at the event, and you were there, so was it really that big? We don't have any official numbers. The police, which usually gives estimate, didn't disclose any figures. But we can confirm that it was very big, if not in the millions, at least in the several hundreds of thousands. Just to give an idea of the size of the parade, there were a total of 19 sound trucks, with performances going on for seven straight hours. As a participant, it was difficult at times to even move through the density of the crowds. It's so crowded. Especially when performers like Mel C and Luisa Sonza took the stage. But it wasn't always like that, was it? Uh, you wrote an article for the Brazilian Report about how the Sao Paulo Pride Parade has transformed into this massive movement. Oh yeah, it has changed a lot. The first parade took place in 1996, and it was more of a rally than a parade. It was a group of 500 people in Praça Roosevelt, a square in downtown Sao Paulo known for having LGBT-friendly bars. In 1998, the parade moved to Avenida Paulista, which is the go-to place for massive events, protests, political acts, etc. But people stayed on the sidewalk. The massive parade as we know it is much more recent and was even featured in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's biggest in 2006. And for this year's event, the Sao Paulo police mobilized more cops than usual, maybe anticipating counter-protests or even violence against the people at the parade. Did you see anything like that? No, the event was rather peaceful. There were some reports of phone theft, but not something that you see in any event that has that many people. One thing that did call my attention was that I saw a fight breaking out and people immediately called for the police, which... I saw as a sign that the attendants trusted law enforcement. The Pride Parade is by definition political. I mean, it makes a statement for equal rights and respect. And now we have a president who might very well be the poster boy for 
anti-LGBT rhetoric. Did this political reality spill over into the event? Uh, was the 2019 parade more political than usual? No, not really. There were some political undertones, of course, with people chanting against President Bolsonaro. Uh, in the early moments, a few pro-LGBT politicians gave speeches, but that didn't transform the event into a political rally. Not really. One of them was even booed off stage. Like you said, the nature of the parade is already political, but this year wasn't more political than any other year. Yeah, especially if we consider that family lunches have become politicized these days. <laughs> right. I talked to two of the parade's organizers, Claudia Hegina and Diego Oliveira, and Diego is telling me that the purpose of the event is to provide a space for LGBT people to feel comfortable being themselves on the street. Não é um carnaval, não é uma micareta. Ela é um movimento social, um movimento político. And also to honor the history that allows for them to enjoy the parade openly. Which is why the theme this year was the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, which was effectively the first parade in the world, when the New York police raided an LGBT bar and ignited a series of protests for gay rights. So were these political undertones present throughout the event or was more concentrated during the, the beginning of it? The majority of the parade was more of a festive ambiance. Uh, for me as a reporter, it was kind of hard to find people willing to talk politics. They were more in the mood to enjoy their day. If you ignore the rainbow flags, the parade could have easily been mistaken for a carnival event. Really? Well, in terms of atmosphere, yes. But the amount of public investment is not nearly the same. City Hall pours about 1 to 1.5 million highs into the infrastructure of the parade. So that goes mainly to law enforcement, traffic guards to close down the streets, put in portable toilets, hire private security, that kind of thing. City Hall also provides six floats, although only two were reserved for the NGO this year. And while there were some major brands sponsoring the event, the average sponsorship deal is much smaller. A empresa que investe 10 milhões no carnaval, ela quer investir 200 mil reais, 100 mil reais na, na parada, mas ter a mesma visibilidade. Diego Oliveira was telling me that a company will spend around 10 million reais on an event like carnaval and then expect the same visibility during the parade for less than 10% of that amount. And how much revenue does the Pride Parade raise for the city of São Paulo? Some estimates say that the parade generates about 40 million reais over a weekend. And that money doesn't really go to the NGOs which are behind it, despite the huge cash cow that the parade has become for the city and its bars, hotels, clubs, restaurants, etc. The NGO that organizes the event still struggles to find funding and depends mostly on volunteers. So how do they finance all of it? Because... I mean, every year they manage to bring high-profile and sometimes international artists. You mentioned Mel C, uh, one of the Spice Girls was here this year. Yeah, the, organi the organization depends heavily on brand sponsorships, and there were tons of them this year, as brands are becoming more and more aware of the massive potential of the LGBT market. That's after the break. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Ewan Marshall, editor at The Brazilian Report, and I'm here to tell you about the ways that you can support the Explaining Brazil podcast. The best one is by subscribing to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. 
Every day we have new content on Brazilian politics, finance and society. So just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. But now you can also make a donation to support our independent journalism. Go to brazilian.report slash donate and you can help us finance our operation with as little as $5. The terms pink money and rainbow economy are often used to talk about the LGBT community's purchasing power. And their potential is huge. Same-sex couples are disproportionately dinks, double income, no kids, and LGBTQ tourists spend an average of three times more per capita than their heterosexual counterparts. They want to invest their money in places where they have uh, psychological, social and emotional security to buy the things that they want to buy. João Torres is an associate at Mais Diversidade, a consultancy firm focused on helping organizations become more inclusive to LGBT professionals and customers. LGBTQ community still face this type of challenges in Brazil. And I don't know if you if it's uh, well known from you, but uh, two uh, weeks ago, our Supreme Court just uh, recognized that LGBTQ phobia is actually uh, a crime that it's considered hate crime. What, what does it mean? What is the practical difference for this in Brazil? Uh, if a uh, owner uh, of a store nowadays, they don't want to uh, don't want to sell their products to the LGBTQ community, they can be arrested and they get a, a, a penalty for not uh, being uh, widely open for the LGBTQ community. A few countries, such as Thailand, have invested a lot into making its tourism industry LGBT-friendly, and the results are impressive. Things are developing. Um, the LGBT consumer is becoming more discerning and is actually saying, you know, we, we want to be treated with respect. We want to go to a, stay in a hotel where, um, you know, people will not ask us silly questions when we check in because we have to be, uh, you know, be, we happen to be two males or two females. This is Paul Thompson, founder of LGBT Capital, an investment firm focused on the LGBT sector. Our estimates are that the LGBT tourism sector in Thailand represents more than um, 1% of total GDP. And if you look at that indirectly, um, in terms of the, the indirect area that tourism touches, we believe it could be as high as 2%. And we believe that countries that actually have a positive attitude towards LGBT, both um, looking at the population but also welcoming tourism, are likely to get a much greater share of that LGBT tourism revenue. It just makes sense. When it comes to tourism, though, Brazil and Thailand seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum. Earlier this year, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro removed LGBT tourism from the country's national tourism plan, despite the fact that the country is considered one of the world's top 10 destinations for the segment. And that is going to have an effect on tourism. People are going to feel less comfortable in coming to Brazil if they don't feel they can be open and comfortable. And um, in fairness, there are two sectors, there are two separate areas here, if you will, one of which is government activity and one of which is day-to-day um, -day activity and, 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 and what we refer to as corporate act activity. So if you look at the US, for example, 
Um, the U.S. for many years was quite behind in terms of LGBT issues. You know, gay marriage wasn't allowed and so on. But, but U.S. companies were really focusing very positively on, on the market. And we found that that corporate sector sort of offset the government sector. Paul is right. Even if the Brazilian government wants to keep LGBT people at arm's length, many companies are becoming more aware of the sheer potential of LGBT consumers. There are some companies that do for opportunism, then there are some companies that are really interested and they, are, they have genuine uh, values uh, considering the LGBTQ uh, population. But I think for either bad or good, they are doing something for the LGBTQ community, uh, population. You know, all these topics about all these talks about diversity and inclusion, uh, some people are doing because it's uh, it's common because every company is doing, but it is still a good thing uh, to be done. You know, the main idea here for uh, for exploring LGBT and pink money, it's mainly with uh, parties with uh, uh, bars, with uh, things that is still, uh, it still has a, a, a sign as being LGBT, you know, the, the LGBT pink money doesn't uh, make the circulation within the LGBT community yet. It doesn't explore its food. If you want to enhance the, the productivity and the money uh, inside the LGBTQ community, we have to have more uh, political policies that are going to support our local entrepreneurs to explore the full potential of big money. An example of how brands are starting to look different to the LGBT consumer is Kairi Neto. He owns LDRV, the largest Brazilian Facebook group for LGBT people, and has quickly monetized what began as simply a forum for exchanging memes and funny content. They were partnered with Avon's float at the parade this year. Trabalhar com meme, trabalhar com escracho, trabalhar com irreverência é um desafio muito grande para marcas. The language that we use in the group, it's becoming more and more embedded in pop culture in Brazil. And that interests brands because working with memes, humor and irreverent content is a huge challenge for them. And they are noticing that it's the best way to communicate with the public. And as they notice that, they become more interested in environments like the LDRV meme page. We create content that is funny and irreverent, and they're able to jump off that point and make it a branded conversation. Discriminating against LGBT people is not only a violation of human rights, it is also very bad for business. You know, in business, we've, we've had various numbers that have been produced that actually show that employees who are not open at work are less efficient because they spend quite a bit of time planning ways to hide their sexuality. And, and therefore, um, there is actually a financial value which can be reflected both in, in profit and share price by not allowing employees to feel fully open and comfortable and happy in their working. One of the other issues that uh, we would touch on is what we refer to as corporate diversity. So where companies' internal policies are making sure that they respect LGBT employees because they need to retain their best employees. So that's things like people having total, being totally comfortable in being open at the office, staff being trained 
um, employee benefits reflecting same-sex couples and so on. And, and that kind of thing, um, a lot of the multinationals are doing in every market that they operate in, and that would include Brazil as well. But I think it's much more likely to be those multinational, you know, international companies at this stage than local companies. And that's a trend we've seen in, you know, all of the other markets that we follow. Despite the resistance of some conservative groups, LGBT groups in Brazil have proved to be more and more organized and vocal, and they are ready to fight against any attempt to strip them of their rights. This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro. Ewan Marshall edits the final script. Maria Marta Bruno and Marta Costa produced this show. And if you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining in Brazil. It takes only a second, but it is really important for us. And please make sure to visit our website, brazilian.report, and enjoy all of our content for seven days. And our free trial is really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also support independent journalism by donating any amount to the Brazilian Report. Go to brazilian.report slash donate. And if you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week.